Okay, well, we've been in this teaching series, and we've been at it for five weeks now. And uh, we've been looking at the, these, thing called, these things called sacraments in the life of the church. And the word sacrament comes from a Latin word, sacramentum. Sacramentum. Uh, and it means to set something apart as holy, right? To put it apart as holy. Uh, in the Greek, if you go and look at this word in the Greek, it, it, actually it means the mysteries. They, 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 that's the word they use. It's called the mysteries. The early church father, John Chrysostom, who was uh, the Archbishop of Constantinople many, many years ago, he said this about the sacraments. He lived in the year 349 to 407. He said, what we believe is not the same as what we see. We see one thing and believe another. And so what we've been talking about over the last five weeks is about a visible symbol or sign or act which connects us to an invisible reality. An outward visible sign pointing toward an inward spiritual grace. So we're material things that you can see and hold like bread and wine and uh, oil and, 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 and water. They become a vehicle of the Spirit. And so they set us apart. They dedicate us to God in some way. And the church, since the very beginning, has begun to take these specific moments in our walk with Jesus, in our salvation, right? And the church began to celebrate them as holy, as sacred, as consecrated to God. And so as I've been saying um, over the last number of weeks, we're talking here about holy moments. It's when a certain spiritual marker in your life could be described as a holy moment. When we come around the communion tables, that is a holy moment. When you go through the waters of baptism, it is a holy moment. When somebody anoints you and you're sick and they anoint you with oil and they pray for your healing, it is a holy moment because it conveys a special sort of grace. It conveys a special touch from God. Now, what I'm going to talk about this morning is a little different to kind of what we've, we have been talking about. This morning, I'm going to talk about something called holy orders. Anybody ever heard of holy orders? A few. Okay. Well, I'm going to be talking about holy orders this morning. It's, a, it's, a, it's been a sacrament in the life of the church. And the sacrament of holy orders refers to those who are set apart for service in the church. But not someone who's just an ordinary helper or a volunteer in the church. It's when a person accepts the responsibilities of a spiritual leader in the church. And so holy orders are also known as ordination. Anybody here ever heard of ordination? You've heard of a, a minister or a pastor being ordained, right? This is, this is the stuff here. Holy orders is also known as ordination. And ordination means to set in place. So it's the, it's the act of setting a person in place and that person is under holy orders. It's a process of setting apart or commissioning a person for the work of ministry. So holy orders or ordination gives the ordained person a sacred power in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, that person is then set apart to serve the people of God. And normally when we're talking about holy orders or we're talking about ordination, normally we're talking about ministers. We're talking about people like me, like pastors or priests or, or bishops. So to put it simply... It's an act where 
the spiritual leaders in a church like ours, the spiritual leaders in that church would say to a person, they would say, you are the one that we, believe, that we believe God has chosen to lead us. You are the one who we believe God wants to lead this congregation in its life of worship and evangelism and um, discipleship and service. We acknowledge the gifts that God has given you for this role. And we believe that God has appointed you for this role. And so now by the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil, we are asking for the power of God's spirit to come upon you to enable you to fulfill what God has called you to do. So it's a process of commissioning a person and placing them under orders, but not just any orders, holy orders. Yeah, you, you, you with me? So God calls a certain person or certain individuals to specific tasks within his redemptive activity in the world through the church. But what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to expand this talk a little bit. I'm going to expand this, this, this idea of holy orders because holy orders are not just about me. Holy orders are very much about you too. So listen up, open up your hearts, let the Spirit of God speak to you. And some of you might be challenged by what I have to say this morning. Don't walk out here with a wrong heart. Make sure if there's something in your heart and you're going, oh, that, that was an ouch then come and see me and let's talk that through because we may be on slippery ground here with some of the things that I talk about this morning. Every single believer, and by that I mean Christian, every believer is under a general call of God. We, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then you are called to follow him. And if you're following someone, then you need to obey them. Turn to the person next to you and say that word, obey. Some, some of us struggle with that word. We don't like that word, obey. Now this is really important because it speaks to how much of you, you have decided to surrender to God. How much of you have you decided to surrender to God? A little part of you or all of you? I've said this time and time again in our church community, and I'll just say it again. You have a lot of say in how much of the activity of God is going to take place in your life. I have a lot of say in how much of the activity of God is going to take place in my life. Right? God in his wisdom has given every single one of us free will. And the question is, am I, are you, gonna, are we going to surrender our will to the will of God? Come on, we've just stood and we've prayed that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. What were some of those words in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. Now when we say those words about surrendering my life and, and surrendering my will to your will, do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? Because God has got a call on your life. And it's a call that demands humility. It's a call that demands holiness. And so every one of us here this morning who is a believer, every one of us here today has been invited by God to share and to play a, a role or a part in his redemptive activity in this world. We are called to be disciples. We are called to be witnesses. 
And that's a broad call to anyone who claims the name of Christ. To anyone who, who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ one. That's a broad call. You see, when you surrender your life to God, you become part of this body called the church. You become, you, you, you're not a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as, I'm a Christian, I'm out here, I'm doing it in all my, my way. No, you surrender your way to God's way. And you become part of a community. You become part of the body of Christ, the church. And God has got a role, a specific role for every believer in the church, in the body of Christ. Every one of us has got gifts. Every one of us has got talents. We've got resources that God is wanting us to use in a specific way in and through the church for the purposes of his redemptive plan on earth. Good moment to close our eyes and pray, I think. Okay. We're going to pray and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk a little bit about where and how and, and why this whole deal started. What, this whole placing under orders business. Where does it come from? But I think it's be a good thing to pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for my heart. And I just pray this morning that my heart would be open to you, receptive to you. And I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth would not offense, offend, but that the words this morning would be challenging to everyone sitting in a seat here in this place this morning. We're coming to look at your word this morning, and we pray that by your spirit, Lord, and through your spirit, you will be our teacher and that you will enable us to understand and to obey your truth and live out the application of that in our lives. And so we come to you with open hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that we'd have wide open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's go back. This whole holy orders deal. Let's go back. Let's go back to the ministry of Jesus. If you know the story, if you're familiar with it, you'll know that Jesus called 12 young men to follow him. And we know them as the disciples, right? Jesus called these 12 disciples. And why did he call them disciples? Why do we know them as disciples? Because they were being taught, right? They were being taught by Jesus. They, they were spending their days and spending those years being taught by Jesus. They were learners. They were apprentices of Jesus. So we know them as disciples, but then after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, these guys suddenly become known as apostles, right? They become, there's a change here from being a disciple to an apostle. Why? Because Jesus places them under orders. Here's what we read in, in, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. So in, in, in verse 1 it says here, in the first book, Theophilus, <clears throat> I wrote about, now this is Luke. Luke wrote a gospel called? Yeah, good. You, you're with me. So Luke wrote Luke, and then Luke also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. He wrote the book of Acts, and he's writing to a guy called Theophilus. He says, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and everything that Jesus taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. Look at those words, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives instructions. Some versions of our Bibles use the word commandments. Jesus gave them commandments. But essentially what Jesus was doing is he was giving orders to the apostles. And you say, well, what are his orders? What were the orders? What did he instruct them to do? Well, let's go to Matthew 28. You guys should really get familiar with these words. And should be, hopefully you are, right? Jesus came to them. He comes to the disciples and he says to them, um, this is after his resurrection. He says, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to, we said a word earlier, to, so say it a little louder, obey. obey. To obey what? Everything. That's it. Everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the apostles had been placed under orders. They were instructed. They were given a command by Jesus to go to all the nations. When we talk about all the nations, we are literally talking about every ethnicity on planet earth. And Jesus says to them, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you to do. Are you with me? Okay, let's just take one step back, right? Just, just, I want to get this into our heads here this morning. Jesus comes and he spends a few years teaching the disciples what the kingdom of God is all about. Do you remember when he started his ministry? He'd come to the people and he'd say, the kingdom of heaven has drawn close to you. The kingdom of God has come to you. You you are able to participate in the kingdom. And and when he talks about the kingdom of God, what Jesus was talking about was the effective will of God for their lives. The effective will of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the effective will of God for your life within his community. That's what Jesus was talking to them, teaching them about. The community of his followers. And he was saying to them, I want you to pass this message on. And so he instructs them as apostles to teach new converts or new believers what they had been taught. To teach those new believers what they had been taught and then to tell those believers to pass the message on as Jesus had told them to pass the message on. Jesus gives the apostles authority to make disciples and to teach the people who become disciples to obey. So if you're a Christian here today, This obedience deal applies to me and it applies to you. To obey what? To obey what Jesus instructed the apostles to do, which was what? To be baptized, to be discipled, to be schooled and taught as Jesus had done to them. Here's what we read in Acts chapter 2 after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Acts chapter 2, before this, what you find is that we sang two songs about the Holy Spirit this morning. What beautiful words. I was looking at the words and thinking, yes, Lord, those words are about the coming of your Spirit. Come with wind. Come with fire. That's what we read in the book of Acts. All these disciples and other followers of Jesus were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit gets poured out at Pentecost. What's going on in Jerusalem is it's Passover. So they're Jews from all the surrounding nations. They all speak different languages, and they've all come to the temple in Jerusalem for, for the Passover celebrations. And here in the upper room, the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon these disciples. Disciples, there's tongues of fire that appear over them. There is a, like a sound of a rushing wind that blows through that room, and they walk out of there, and and they begin to speak in languages that were not their mother tongue. They begin to speak in languages that people who've come from other parts of the surrounding area can understand. And they're going, "How do you? How can you speak my language?" The guy speaking the language, the disciple Matthew's guy, I don't even know this language. I'm glad you're understanding what I'm saying. This is, and everybody's. Some people are going, "You guys are drunk, man." There's chaos in Jerusalem. There's bewilderment. The crowds don't know what. Go and read the book of Acts if you don't know what I'm talking about over here. And so here are all these crowds. And Peter stands up, 
standing with the eleven, and he raises his voice and he addresses them, and he says, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. And then Peter, you go read this, verse 15 through to 40, Peter gives a sermon. I think it might, might have been one of the first sermons that were ever delivered in, in the life of the church. And then we get to verse 41, and it says that, so those who were welcomed. So what had happened, if you read the message, you'll find there that at the end of the sermon, the scripture says that some of the people were cut to their hearts by what Peter had said. They were like, this is, this is, this is bang, it's hitting me right here. And, and, and those people were going to Peter, well, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And so those who welcomed the sermon, those who welcomed his message, were baptized. And it says that that day about 3,000 persons were added. And it says here in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. So right here is an example of the apostles doing what Jesus had commissioned them to do. To baptize new believers and to teach them what Jesus had instructed those apostles to do. Which was all about the kingdom of God. Which was all about what is the, what is the effective will of God. Why is it important for my life? Is because I find myself in the body of Christ. This is what it means to live as a Christian. This is what it means to be the church. That's what they were teaching them. So yeah, here you have these, these, uh, these uh, apostles and, and you have these new followers of Jesus, these new believers, there's 3,000 of them and the apostles say to them, I want you to continue as a new Christian in the apostolic doctrine. What was the apostolic doctrine? It was the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching them. So there was teaching going on and fellowship going on and where teaching and fellowship happens, it, it leads to worship. And what was going on over here is it led them to worship through the breaking of bread. That's like our communion when we come around the communion tables. But then they would have a meal when they would break bread together. I can't go into all of that now. But they were breaking bread in their worship and then they were praying. And these weren't personal prayers. This weren't, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so happy to be a believer. No, no. These were prayers that they all were reciting out together. This would have been a reciting and a singing of the Psalms and different passages of Scripture. That's what was going on over here. Remember, they were Jews. They knew the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures. These Jews had decided the Messiah has come and they made a choice to follow Jesus. Am I getting too excited? Okay, calm down. So one more time. Here's the big picture again. Jesus chooses his disciples and he teaches them. Then after his resurrection, he opens up their minds to understand what it's all about. He opens up their minds to what the scriptures are all about, which is the story of God, which points to one person, and that is Jesus. And then Jesus commissions them as apostles and places them under orders to teach others to do everything the way that he had taught and instructed them to do things. That's why further on in the New Testament you read things like what the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to, to the Romans. Paul says, how's anybody going to hear unless somebody tells them? In Romans chapter 10 verse 14, Paul says, how are they going to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim it? Him. They're talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. How are they to hear without someone to proclaim Jesus? 
It's, 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 it's why Paul goes on further in the, in, the, in the New Testament and he tells people like Timothy to do it in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says to Peter, he says, and what you've heard from me through many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. Entrust this message to faithful people who will be able to continue the message, teaching others as well. And so the transmission of what Jesus had taught the apostles to teach others to do has been passed down, passed down like a baton through the centuries within the life of the church to every Christian, to anyone who would believe. For 2,000 years now, Christians have followed the orders given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And Christians have done that because they have believed that it really matters that people hear the word of God. That's why they've done it. Which brings us back to us. Renew has, we've got a vision, ultimately, to plant new churches. Ultimately, that's what we'd love to see happen through the life of this church, is that people will go out and begin to plant new churches. I was up north the other day, and, and I can't believe the amount of development going on. There's so many people coming into Perth. There's not enough houses to house people. There are people being brought in. They're going to need places of worship. They're going to need men and women who are going to lead them in those churches. And so that's part of the vision of Renew, is that ultimately we become a church that, that has that end goal. But we are going to need men and women who will hear and obey the call of God on their life. I'll tell you something else about this church. This church, Renew, is going to need a platform from which to do this. We are actually going to need a place that we can call our own. We are going to need, as a church, a place which we can use as a sanctuary, a sacred space. Not only for the purpose of Sunday worship, but where we can train and equip faithful people who will take the baton of the gospel message of Jesus Christ and pass it on to others. We will need that as a church. And let me tell you something else about Renew. Renew is going to need faithful men and women to serve in ministry. It's going to need people who will minister to men, people who will minister to women, people who will minister to the elderly and to children and to the youth and to families. We will need small group leaders. We will need people who can preach and people who can teach and youth pastors and worshipers Singers, musicians, children's ministry leaders, administrative leaders, missions-focused people. I could go on and on. So can I ask you, what is the call of God on your life? Is it general or is it specific? Are you being faithful in that? What has God asked you to do in his redemptive activity in this world? What is your part in the life of the church? Let, let, let's think about a guy here this morning, an unlikely character from the Old Testament. I'm sure you know a bit about his story. Maybe you know the whole story. He was a guy named Gideon. Anybody ever heard of Gideon? We'll talk about Gideon for a little while because I think Gideon's story can provide some perspective on God's call in all of our lives. Because as Christians, we have all been given orders. Every one of us are under 
holy orders. Um, that's why I like the words to that one song. I've never sung that song before that we sung over there. And it says, like, there's the, I'm like part of an army. How does the words go? There's an army of God, and I'm, I'm, I'm called. I'm going to, it's kind of like military terminology going on over there. And when we talk about orders, that, that's what we are. You're under orders. We are all under orders. So, so, so Gideon, Gideon was a farmer. And, and um, one day he was busy beating the wheat, the wheat, and, and he was beating it in a wine press. Um, and he looks up, and, and under one of the oak trees, there's a, there's, a, there's a mysterious character who's sitting in the shade. And Gideon's kind of, I can imagine Gideon looking up, and initially he's probably scared. Initially he was frightened. Who is this guy? And Gideon was probably frightened because he thought, is it a Midianite? But as he looks, he sees that, oh, no, 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 that, that's, that can't be a Midianite. But the, I don't know who this guy is, but he's not a Midianite. And if, and if you've read the story, you'll understand that the Midianites had been raiding and ravaging the land of Israel for years. Gideon's people had gone off into hiding. They were hiding from their oppressors. People had abandoned their homes and they headed off to the mountains. Many of them were living in caves. Picture in your minds maybe uh, the scenes that you see on the news reports of what's going on in Ukraine. Just picture in your minds for a moment the bombed out apartment blocks and the bombed out and burnt out homes. I think that's kind of like a modern day example of what was going on here thousands of years ago. But Gideon himself had not taken off to the hills, right? Gideon had retreated to a wine press. Now an ancient wine press would have been a big hole in the ground, right? Would have dug a hole in the ground and they would have brought all of the bunches of grapes to put into that wine press and then they would have trampled on all of those grapes to get the juice out so that they could make wine. But Gideon's not busy making wine in the wine press. He's busy threshing his wheat. And typically, when you thresh wheat, you do it on a threshing floor. So on a threshing floor would be out in the open because when you're threshing that wheat and you're throwing it up in the air, the wind would blow all the chaff away. But Gideon's not doing it out there. He's down here in a wine press, kind of hidden. He's doing it because he was scared of the Midianite raiders, right? Gideon was in this wine press and, and terrified that, that these marauders would, would come. I mean, you can imagine the Midianites descending on unsuspecting Israelites and robbing them of their crops, robbing them of their dignity. You can imagine Gideon, somebody who, who understands that there is a God, uh, the people of God, the Israelites, the people who worship God. You can imagine those people going, God, God, when is this going to end? God, are you ever going to send someone to rescue your people? Most of us sitting here this morning have probably never, ever felt that kind of oppression. We've never felt the oppression of an invading force like those Israelites were. Or maybe like the people of Ukraine today. But it is probable that you have felt the oppression of a culture. The oppression of our culture that is opposed to the ways of God. Increasingly opposed to the ways of God. Many of us have felt that oppression. We felt the oppression of a culture that is antagonistic towards the church. And very often that oppression, many Christians don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with what's going on in the world around them. It leaves them confused. It leaves them bewildered. They don't know how to deal with it. Often the people of God resemble the crowds that Jesus looked at in Matthew chapter 9 where he, where he described them as being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Have you ever wondered if God would send Christian men, strong Christian men and strong Christian women to speak with clarity, to bring the message of grace, but not only the message of grace, the message of truth as well? Have you ever wondered, God, would you just raise up more people like that? Have you ever wondered whether God is calling you? So this mysterious stranger, he, he, he calls out to Gideon. He's sitting under, the, in, under this oak tree. Let's go to the next slide, Glenn. And uh, he, he sees Gideon, and Gideon sees him, and he knows, he knows he's seen him. And he goes, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> you can imagine Gideon in that wine press thinking, the blazes, who's this dude? Mighty warrior? Is he mad? What is, what is, you know, what's, you know, Gideon was anything but a mighty warrior. He was a farmer that was so filled with fear that he couldn't even go out and thresh his wheat in the open. He had to come and do it hidden in a wine press. Mighty warrior. What, this guy's nuts. Who is, what is this guy? And then this guy says to him, the Lord is with you. you what do you mean God is with us? That, 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 that's preposterous. It's why Gideon asks him in, in, in the next verse, in verse 13, Gideon says to him, if the Lord is with us, why has this all happened to us? Gideon could not reconcile God's presence with the presence of the Midianites. He just could, he, he got these Midianites who are coming in and he's, he can't just, like, where's God? And if you read, you'll see that Gideon begins to recount the stories of God's activities. He knows that God has been with the Israelites in the years gone. You know, I know that God has been with us. I know that God has done amazing thing, things for Israel. But Gideon could not see any evidence of God's activity right there in the present. What do you mean he's, he's with us? Where is he? Look around, mate. Just take a look at, you know, look at us. The houses are burnt out. The, the crops have been devoured. The, 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 there's nothing on the ground. Our animals have been taken. There are babies that are got bloated bellies dying from dehydration. We're suffering under this heavy yoke of oppression. It's constantly dragging Israel down. Gideon couldn't see victory because of the ever-present oppression. It's quite like the world we live in in the moment. Sometimes we're going, God, because we can't see the victory because we're under the oppression. The world's messaging, 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 and all that messaging is contrary to the ways of God. And so we moan so often, isn't it? We, it's so easy for us to moan about the apparent lack of God's activity in the present. Where are you, God? How can this happen, God? Where, why are you gonna, when are you going to do something, God? It's easy to moan. It is much harder to be a part of God's activity in the present. And again, this is where we decide on how much of the activity of God is going to take place in our lives. Folk, if we want to see God's activity increase by the power of His Holy Spirit in this church now and in the future, we have to follow orders. We have to report for duty. You cannot live your life haggling with God. You can't live your life that way. Should I get baptized? Maybe I'll get baptized. I'm not too sure if I'm ready for baptism. The scripture says be baptized. Why are you haggling about it? 
When you wake up on Sunday morning and you're going, oh, well, I went to church once this month. I'm not too sure if I need to go to worship again. Why are you haggling with God about that? What the heck is going on in your walk with Jesus? When you're called to worship the living God, the one who has sent his son, who went to that cross and died on that cross to bring you redemption, and yet you stand here haggling. You're not present. Where are you, God? When you're called to pray, when you're called to small group community and small group life, when you're called to serve in some way within the life of the church, when you're called to financially contribute to the life of the church, and the scripture lays out parameters on that, and we haggle with God. I'm telling you, if we want to see God work in the lives of men and women, like we've seen God work in the lives of people before us, we actually have to say, here I am, Lord, I'll go. The stranger walks over to the wine press and he says to Gideon in verse 14, he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. The stranger says, I hereby commission you. I think this guy must have unnerved Gideon. Who is this guy? How can he commission me? How can this man commission me? Is he more than just a mysterious stranger? Is he delusional? Or has God sent him? Is he a messenger from God? Go in the strength you have. Save Israel. And you know what Gideon immediately starts to do? He starts to question his ability. Here in verse 15, he's like, how can I save Israel? What do you, how can I do it? How can I save Israel? Gideon's like, you've got to be crazy, man. I'm not man enough for this job. I know me. I'm a weak dude, man. I'm from the weakest tribe in, in, in the nation. I'm the weakest member of my family. There's got to be somebody stronger than me. How can I save Israel? There's got to be somebody smarter, somebody younger, somebody older. You know, you've got it wrong. You know, maybe you're talking about my cousin. My cousin's good with a sword, man. He's probably a mighty warrior. You've got it wrong. Isn't it, isn't it so true of us? When we are faced with God's vision of the future and what God's called us to, which we read in here, if you read here, you'll know what the general call is at least. But isn't it so true when we are faced with what God's vision is for the end of the age and he wants to direct our attention to that you know what happens is <laughs> the excuses it's like popcorn have you ever cooked popcorn that's what happens with us the excuses just like popcorn all the reasons god's god can't be right god must be wrong we come with all those excuses me lead a youth ministry me lead a small group I'm not, I can't, I don't know the Bible, I'm not equipped, I've never done this, all the excuses. Me, spearhead a building campaign for my church, I don't have that, I don't have the money, I don't have the know-how, me, go to Bible school, I don't think I can do that, it costs too money, I don't have money, I don't have saving, education, me, become a pastor, are you mad? My family will disown me, is it God's vision for my life? I don't think so. Pop, 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 pop. Who, me? Pop. And then what we do right after that, 
is we start making a lengthy list of other people. God, that person's way more competent than me. That person knows the Bible so much more than me. God, go to them, not me. Gideon could not see himself as a brave and mighty warrior. But God could. Let me ask you a question here this morning again. How does God see you? How does God see you? Has he given you a glimpse of a future that is his future, his plan for you? And you're looking at that and it seems unrecognizable in the present. You're going, how can that future reconcile with what I'm in right now? How does God see you? You know, sometimes we draw back from God's vision for our lives because our vision gets skewed by sin. And so often we can't see the future with any clarity because of all the past mistakes or because of the current struggles that are impairing our vision right now. But I just want you to remember something. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the future from the past. God has future-focused x-ray vision. He sees us for who we will be. He sees you for who you will be. And his vision is always accurate. What you've got to do and what I've got to do is we've got to trust his vision for our life. See, this mysterious stranger, Gideon's got the popcorn going, pop, 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 all the excuses. And this stranger interrupts Gideon's excuses with the reality of God's authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And he interrupts Gideon with God's authority. He says to Gideon in verse 16, he says, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, every one of them. The messenger comes to Gideon and he promises Gideon the presence of God. He says, God will be with you. I'll be with you. He was the messenger of God. He reveals to Gideon that God's activity is not just limited to what had happened in the past. God's activity was not just past tense participation. It included present tense reality. And this messenger promises victory. He says, you will strike them down. He, he promises victory in the power of God's presence. And Gideon's going, I can't do this. I can't do it. And God agrees. God recognizes Gideon. He knows him better than he knows himself. He knows Gideon's weaknesses and, and abilities more acutely than Gideon does. And so God says to Gideon, Gideon, I'm going to be with you and you will strike down the Midianites. Gideon, this is not about you. This is not about your strength. This is not about you in me. This is about me in you. This is about what I can do through you. You see, just like Gideon, we, we, we sometimes do a similar thing. God's, Gideon's excuses revealed a lack of faith. And that's what our excuses do. You know, sometimes when I speak or the Spirit of God prompts you, and says, you're the one who needs to, there's a ministry and a call on your life. I'm not going to put you on the spot now to do whatever it is that God's wanting you to do. That might be ministering to women. It might be to the elderly. It might be to your family. Uh, it might be that God wants you to work with children. I don't know. But maybe it's a, a small group that you need to lead. Or maybe you actually have a gift and a talent and you should be up here. Maybe you should be singing because you've got a voice. I can sing. I can sing so well to the glory of God. I can lead God's people in worship. And maybe it's you. you know, there's a million examples here this morning. But when we have the excuses 
and we know that God's zeroed into our heart, and we start coming up with those excuses, it reveals a lack of faith because it's a false humility. Oh, I don't think I could do it, not, not me. And a false humility reveals a fragile faith in God. When we pretend that we're not up to it, when we pretend that our skills are insufficient or you know, our abilities are incomplete, what we're doing is saying, well, I don't think I can. We're implying, if the Spirit of God has spoken to us, we are implying that God has made a mistake. We are implying that God doesn't know what he's doing. That, 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 that like, God, you've, you've got the wrong person. God knows that we can't accomplish these orders on our own. It's arrogant for us to even think that we can. But just as God comes and assures Gideon of the victory over the Midianites, God's assurance is the same for you and me. If God is knocking on your heart's door and he has revealed to you a glimpse of the future that he has for you, he will enable you to realize it. He's just looking for a willing heart. He's just looking for an obedient heart. Maybe you could just now at this point turn to the neighbor again and say, obey. Yeah, I know. It's hard to say. You see, what does God see in you? God sees himself in you. God doesn't look at you as you are. He looks at you as you will be, filled with his power. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you've been hearing the voice of God calling you to do something that has to do with his redemptive activity. I'm not talking here this morning about the other things that God calls us to in life. Because God gives us career direction and business and job and study. God gives us those directions. I'm talking here specifically about his redemptive activity in this world through the work of the church. And so maybe God's been knocking on your heart's door and, and God has been saying, I've got something for you to do that is aligned with my purposes and plan, plans for this world. And maybe that the Spirit of God's been knocking on your door, but it doesn't fit with your mental image of yourself. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you don't know the Bible that well. Maybe, maybe you're not really a student of the Scripture, but for some reason God's saying, you can lead an Alpha course. You can teach a Bible course. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you, you can't even see through your own pain, but God is calling you to be a kind comforter, someone who can minister his mercy to others. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and you don't really have patience with church people like me. But, but for some reason, God's calling you to lead a church. Or for some reason, God's calling you to lead a small group. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you don't really have extra time for teenagers, but God's calling you to work with youth. God's calling you to be a youth pastor. Maybe you've never lived in a country that, has, that speaks a different language or has a different culture to you, but God's calling you to missions. Maybe in your life you've only ever been a church member, and God's saying, I see you as a church planter. Listen, God's call is not an affirmation of your abilities. It is an acknowledgement of his activity in your life. That's why I say to you, you have a lot of say in how much of God's activity is going to take place in your life. God doesn't look at you and see, 
how competent you are or what your abilities are. It's not an affirmation of, of who you are. It is an acknowledgement of his activity in your life. And he's looking for you to open up your life to more of his activity. How much of it are you going to allow? God's perspective is different. He isn't looking at what you are, but rather at what you can be, what you can become, what you are becoming in his strength. Folk, holy orders. What is the call of God on your life as it relates to his redemptive plan? Whether it's a specific call to ministry or a general call to play a part in the life of the church, God's invitation to you is to participate. The call invites you to accept God's perspective on your potential. Not your perspective, but God's perspective on your potential. Because there's a job just for you. There really and truly is. I came in this morning, and for the very first time, I, I read what's written. We always block up that side of the screen, but today I saw the words that somebody put on the screen that we put over here. And um, what does it say again? From small things, big things grow. And I thought, wow, I thought, Lord, isn't that, isn't that amazing? This church renew, I don't know what God's plan is for its potential impact. But we believe God's got a vision for this church. But it's going to go nowhere if the people don't. I'm on parade ground. I'm going to do your bidding, Lord. It's not going to get anywhere if we keep popping up with the excuses. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't have the time for that. I can't get up early enough. It's not going to go anywhere. But for a church that says to itself, no, no, there is a big picture story going on over here and I'm going to be a part of it. There is a redemptive plan. The end of the age is close. Eugene sent a message out to our, our elders group this last week from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25. And that verse of scripture talks about the assembling of ourselves. It says, don't neglect to assemble. That means what we're doing here together on a Sunday morning. That verse says, don't neglect to do it. Don't neglect to come. Don't neglect to assemble. And the writer of Hebrews says, pay important attention to this because the day is fast approaching. If you're here this morning, I'm going to stand on a chair and I'm going to say this. I just feel to stand on a chair because maybe I need to be like one of those old traditional pastors that preach down at the people. If you're here this morning and you think because you prayed a sinner's prayer that you're going to be with God forever, be careful with that understanding. Salvation is not a one-time thing. Salvation is an ongoing thing. And it is a future thing. And in the ongoing thing, it is a work of sanctification. It is a work, Paul says in Philippians, work out your faith... You, with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. Work it out. Follow God. Pay attention to God. Don't neglect this. In, in Peter, Peter writes and says, we are supposed to become bearers of the divine image. We are supposed to become like God, holy like God. If we're not paying any attention to this walk now, and we're only relying on the one moment, two years ago, one month ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we are made a decision to become a Christian, but I've never ever followed through on that. I hope that's not a rude sound. 
but it's like by the, it's by the skin of your teeth. And that verse came out this week. The day is fast approaching. If Jesus was revealed to the world this year, are you going to be going, I'm ready? Or are you going to be going, my family, my wife, my husband, I didn't pray enough. I didn't intercede enough. But God's got a plan for this church. We got holy orders. The question is, are we going to carry through what we read in here? That message, that baton. Are we going to take that baton and continue to pass it on? Or are we going to be part of, the, part of the problem instead of being part of the redeemed community who goes out into this world to bring a light? Close your eyes. Let's pray and we're going to head out. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your, firstly, for your love for each one. So this morning, even though it's been a bit heavy, I just pray, God, that there's going to be no feeling of condemnation here. But rather, Lord, if there's a challenge by the power of your Spirit, would you not let people go? Wrestle them down to the ground. Cause them not to sleep, Lord. Cause them to have hunger pains because they need to get real with you. Whatever it is that you need to do, Lord, to, 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 to really grab a hold of our hearts, I pray that you would do that. But that said, Lord, may we not forget your grace, your love, your mercy, your, your, your kindness towards us, your goodness towards us. May we see that first and foremost. But God, may we not be lazy Christians. May we not be the guy who's late on parade or who never makes it to the parade. May we be ready with one eye on eternity and an eye on the work of your kingdom in this earth today. In Jesus' name, amen.